The Gospel according to John. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? Then he said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. In Jesus' name, amen. Our grandson Samuel has continued to grow up right in front of our own eyes. We've watched him not only grow taller, but also more articulate than we sometimes think a five-year-old boy ought to be. He's also become very creative, and uh, he's very proud of what he's done and, and anxious to, to show it off. And so he oftentimes comes to me, and I hear, hear this line a lot, Hey, Pops, come here, I want to show you something. Well, that is Samuel's way of saying, come and see. 
come and see is very much a key part of John's story, the calling of the first disciples. And if you read through that story, you notice a few things that, like the fact that once John the Baptist points out who Jesus is, it sort of begins a a chain reaction. Andrew and another disciple go and follow Jesus, and, and then Andrew goes to Peter, and then they go with with Jesus to Philip, and Philip then goes and finds uh, Nathaniel, and and one invites the other. There's nothing really very anything very fancy about it at all. It's just one person inviting the other to come and see. And so, obviously, what John is trying to get across to his audience is that that that's kind of how passing on the faith works. People coming to faith by the simple invitation of another person, inviting them to come and see. And at least through the greater part of the early church, that's the way it was done. One person at a time, over and over again. But I don't think that happens very much anymore. For one thing, You don't have to go anywhere to see faith being played out in church. Church is all over the place. It's online, in blogs, in social media pages. You don't really have to go anywhere to see the church. Just turn on your computer or pick up your phone. But I think there's another and more important reason why come and see doesn't work too well anymore. And that's because there's a a lot of confusion and a lot of distrust of people seeing what's going on in the church, of people who are invited to come and see, but they're not sure they want to come and take part in what they see. And I think this has been going on for a long, long time. And we've seen it happen more and more in recent years. We've really wanted to talk about it very much, at least not in public. But we're going to talk about it today. Because I think these texts speak to that very issue. And we're going to talk about it because of what we witnessed in our nation's capital last week. And I think it speaks to that as well. And we're also going to deal with it because I was very much moved and impressed with a message that Pastor Mike Ashcraft from Port City Church uh, had in his service this past week. It really sort of brought home a lot of this information and a lot of this, this imagery of coming and seeing and what we come to see. And I want to thank him for being so insightful and creative. What's really amazing about that that whole thing is, is that he was not specifically trying to address what happened in Washington. They had planned to have this series in their church eight weeks ago. But what he had to say really did speak to this moment. And so I would like to share some of the basic ideas with you. 
we begin by thinking about the fact that obviously there's a lot that we disagree about. I mean, it, it covers the spectrum of, of issues and ideas and thoughts and concerns. There's an awful lot of things that we disagree about except one thing. And that one thing is things are not what they should be. I believe we probably all would agree on that. We get a unanimous vote for that very thing. Things are not what they should be. But some of our problems begin as we start trying to parse through and think about how to fix the things to, way, to the way they should be. And we start to line them up based on what we think is right and our concerns and our agendas. And everybody's got their own ideas and their own agenda about how to make things the way they should be. Usually we, we develop these ideas based on what we've been taught and our own life experience and the things that seem to work best for us and, and work to our own advantage. And the problem is, is after we start getting all these things fit together the way we think they ought to be, then we start grouping ourselves together with people who think like we do and feel like we do and believe like we believe. And then we start adding labels like left and right and red and blue so that we can identify who are the ones who agree with us and who don't. That's really a, a very simplified version of this situation in which we find ourselves. But I think we have to start there and agree that that's kind of where we are. Because we then move into thinking that that's exactly what we've begun to do with our relationship with God. And living out our faith. And how we manage our churches. To go back to Ashcraft's message, we begin to decide how things are supposed to be based more on how the world operates than the way God wants it to operate. And what's even more, our vision of God becomes shaped more by our politics and our preferences than it does the other way around. And then we begin to think about the ways that we want God to behave and the things that we want God to, to endorse. And we see this when we start talking about the Christian left and the Christian right and all the things that fall under those two kinds of categories. And the problem is, is the word Christian becomes an adjective that endorses or modifies what we already want and what we already support and not using Christian as the way to create the way God wants things to be. I think he's on to something there. And if so, it's not, easy, it's not hard to see that we start splintering our faith we start splintering our faith communities. And we base our churches based on, on what we think is right 
and what our concerns are and what our agendas are, and we choose to attend the church that, that backs up what we want and supports our views. We start acting a lot like Nathaniel, being absolutely sure that we know how God operates. We start cutting other people off and even demonizing them. And we start asking, can anything at all good come out of a church that doesn't agree with me, left or right? Friends, this is far deeper and more serious than the differences between denominations and traditions. These kinds of things are happening within those traditions and even within congregations. And we know for a fact that these same kinds of things are happening within our families and among our friends. So is there any wonder why the invitation to come and see isn't working anymore? People don't want to come because they don't like what they see. I've taken a long time to describe what's broken, what's wrong in this situation. The question becomes, where do we go from here? Can anything good come out of all of this mess? It might feel like that right now with everything that seems to be happening around us, that nothing can good, nothing good can come from it. That's called despair. But God calls us out from despair. God calls us to hope and wholeness and God doesn't ever quit trying to work a way in us that will bring us to hope and life. And that way is Jesus who came to show us, to demonstrate with his life and his death and resurrection that there is nothing that will separate us from God's desire to see us live full and abundant lives that would separate us from God's love. There's nothing that can take that away from us. That God is offering us a vision of a new kind of life. A life even more abundant than what we can see already or even a life more abundant than what we're looking for. But just saying that isn't enough. It's never enough. In order for us to see that, that vision and live that kind of life, we have to be honest enough to say that we really haven't wanted that life very much. Rather, we've settled for what we have created for ourselves. For what we want to be true, whether it's true or not. And so for us to see and experience what God wants for us, what God offers us each and every day, we have to confess that truth. 
and hear God speak the truth to us. In the Old Testament reading today, we hear God calling Samuel and Samuel's willingness and readiness to be God's agent and do God's bidding. And what's important is what it, that meant for Samuel. God calls Samuel to speak a hard and harsh truth to his beloved mentor, Eli, about how Eli's family had failed God and that they would fall because of that failure. Samuel was called to speak the truth and call out sin for what it was. What could that mean for us in this time? Last week, we saw the shocking images of faith being used to promote hatred and anger, bigotry and violence. The truth is, that is absolutely wrong, and it always will be, and it grieves the heart of God. The truth is also that, the, that God's heart is grieved when faith is used to promote comfort and privilege and apathy and being passive toward the things that God cares about. Both of those things are idolatry because it puts our agendas ahead of God's agenda, shaping God into our image instead of being shaped into becoming godly. And we do that all the time. And look where it's got us. But Jesus invites us away from that. He invites us to come and see a different vision of what life can be like with God. And he holds out that vision for all of us no matter what side of the idolatry we are on, he, because he wants all of us to know the joy and the freedom of that kind of life. He promised, you will see greater things than these, greater things than we can create for ourselves. And so instead of assuming that nothing good can come out of all this political and cultural mess, the question we need to ask is, what might it be like if we were to see his vision and live into it? We will never know as long as we hold tightly to our own way of seeing things, to our own vision of living. A lot of the mess in which we find ourselves comes from the fact that we don't want to change. We want to hang on to, to what we have. We've worked hard to get it. We've been taught it over the years. It seems to work for us. It seems to work to our advantage. And we never want to let go of it.
But look at the shape. That way of thinking has left us. What good is that? But today, and every day that stretches before us, Jesus invites us to let go, to stop clinging so tightly to what we think we want, to come and experience the greater things that he offers us. A life full of mercy and hope and love. A life where forgiveness is more powerful than holding a grudge. A life where listening is more important than shouting. A life that looks at another human being as a child of God, as a sister, as a brother, instead of an opponent that needs to be beaten and defeated. God wants us to experience that life and then to become those who share that life so that others can come and see the wonderful vision God has for all of us. We preacher types always try to look for a, a good way to end a message. And as I worked through this message all this week, the thing that kept coming back to me was that, was that great prayer that was given to us by St. Francis. Because it seemed to lift up this idea of coming and seeing a life that God has in store for us. And so I ask that you pray that with me now. Not just now, but in the days ahead. That you might come and see the vision that God has for all of us. Let's pray. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.